Well, we are going through the book of Ecclesiastes this summer. And what you're going to see today is how Solomon hits pause in chapter 9 to summarize some of the lessons we've learned so far. Oh, we actually have four more chapters to go, but Solomon knows. Yeah, you're glad it's not over yet? Four more chapters to go, but Solomon knows. This hasn't been easy, has it? He knows he needs to let us catch our breath because so much of what he's been telling us is unpleasant and outside the box of how we wish life actually worked. In fact, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Solomon knows that the average human being is working so hard to make life work the way they wish it did that he's going to have to repeat himself and force us to marinate in some unpleasant juices if we're ever going to get our heads around the reality, the biblical reality of life in a fallen broken world. And so get this, you might not hear anything new today. You're like, I didn't hear anything new if you've been with us this whole series. But guess what? It just might get through today for the very first time. And oh, how I hope it does. Because get this, until, until you understand and embrace for yourself how life actually works. You can't start really living. You realize he actually does not want to put us all on Prozac and cause, cause us to curl up in a ball and say, why should I even live another day? That's not his goal. And I know you think, oh my goodness, that's not his goal. Do you realize Solomon actually wants you to live, live, live? His goal is for you to really, see, he's not a fatalist. Guess what he is? A realist. He's a realist. Because you can't really live life if you keep pretending it's something it's not. If you keep trying to make it something it's not. Here's what it is. And then here's what God has given us in the midst of what it is. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth. How neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much he may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know. He cannot find it out. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. 
Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It's the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. Now look at me a minute. That word chance is a poor translation. And if you're part of the Grace Fellowship family, you know we've taught for years, God is sovereign. Do things just happen by chance, willy-nilly, random? Super louder. Thank you. The Hebrew word actually means happenings. It appears like chance to us because we didn't see it coming. It's like he's saying stuff happens. Stuff happens. As a human being, that's how it feels. Stuff happens. Verse 12. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net. Like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time. When it suddenly falls upon them. So as Solomon hits pause to summarize. And to force us to soak a little bit more. Because he knows you're not getting it. You're resisting. You're resisting. I need you to get this. What does he want us to get a hold of? And what does he want us to soak in that he is trying to summarize for us? Here's the first thing. He says one thing is absolutely certain. By now you may be thinking, he has unhinged so much that we were counting on. The book is just full of, you can't count on this, you can't trust in this, don't put your hope here. Woo! And so as a human being, you're like, is there anything I can count on? Give me a handhold, Solomon. What can I hold on to? What can I count on? He's like, here you go. Look at chapter 9, verse 2. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good 
and the evil to the clean and the unclean. What event is he talking about? Yeah. He's actually talking about the one thing we try so hard not to talk about that we pretend maybe won't happen. Say it. Say it louder. Death. He's like, here you go. Here's what you can count on. And as human beings are like, okay, not that. What else? What else? Something else. Something else. He's like, you can count on this. And we've kind of already touched on this because he comes back around to it. Until you acknowledge it, even embrace it, look it in the face, you can't start really living. He's like, you're going to die. You can be righteous. You're going to die. Wicked. You're going to die. Rich. You're going to die. Poor. You're going to die. Look, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, what you have. This one thing you can count on. It's coming. Death. I'm not against being healthy. All right. You can drink water. You can eat free-range chicken. You can wear your seatbelt and you can take supplements and you can snort herbs and grind stuff. And go paleo and go natural and go whatever. But you're going to die just like the person that consumes the red dye tenaciously. Still drinks all that Kool-Aid with stuff in it we shouldn't. Still just does breaded chicken nuggets in the oven. It's like, this is bad for you. Yeah. You're going to die, free-range chicken people. I grind my own bread, people. You're going to die. You're going to die. This is one thing you can count on. Oh, but number two, there's something else he wants us to soak in. Number two. So there you can count on it. And we're like, ah, I don't want to count on that. And now he says, here's what is unpredictable. So we try to make things that we can't count on, things we can count on. And we try to pretend the one thing that you should count on isn't going to happen. Human beings are, that's why he says we live with madness in our hearts. We just try to make this work in a way that it does not work. And we don't listen very well. He's like, number two, so many other things are unpredictable and inexplicable. Unpredictable and inexplicable. And get this. This is the wisest man who ever lived talking to us now, right? So it's not like, okay, well, that's just a young blogger, somebody else. The Bible confirms this is the wisest man Whoever lived telling us this. So stop thinking if you just Googled more. If you chose better friends. If you listened to more TED Talks. If you worked on an advanced degree. You could figure it all out. He didn't. And you won't. In fact, he says, letter A. You cannot discover or explain everything. Look at chapter 8, verse 17. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man, man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. It's like Solomon's stuck on repeat. It's like he's stuttering. Like, oh my, you, you see his effort to drive this home to us? He uses the same phrase three times. You cannot find it out. You will not find it out. And it's like you say, what about someone super wise? Even if you're wise, you cannot find it all out. 
And this is not something he read. This is something he discovered for himself after he gave it his very best shot. Think about how many times we've already seen in the first nine chapters where he says, I'm going to examine this all. I'm going to examine this carefully, all of it. I'm going to dig into this carefully. I'm going to apply my heart to understand this carefully. He gave it his very best shot. And so he gave us this book, you guys. You're like, like, what is this book supposed to do? Now, I do want you to hear this. I hope you already know this, but hear this. There are certain books of the Bible that you should never read all by themselves. This is one of them. This book sets you up for the rest of this book. But sometimes until you're undone and shattered with the disillusions of what you think, you don't listen to what he wants to tell you next. If you're a teacher or a parent, you understand that sometimes the reason someone's not getting what you're trying to say is they're already hold on, holding on to tenaciously something else. That's what this book was done, intended to do, to shatter us, to undo us from what we try to make the reality so that then the rest of this book's like, oh, praise God for that, praise God for that, praise God for that. But you don't even get excited about that until you realize here's what we really have, this is biblical reality. And so he wrote this book to smash into pieces this idea that we can be like God, equal to God, know it all, have it all, achieve it all, understand it all, and never be left scratching our heads saying, I wonder And I just wish, I wonder, and I just wish. Get this, God never wonders or wishes. He knows and he does. He knows and he does. We wonder and we wish. We wonder and we wish. He knows and he does, and stay with me, and sometimes he chooses to reveal to us what he knows, and sometimes he chooses to reveal to us why he does what he does, and then a lot of other times, it's just his own God business. You're like, I don't like that. Too bad. Sometimes it's just his own God. Oh, we love it when he reveals to us what, has he revealed to us some of what he knows? Oh my goodness, praise God for what we learned from creation and then special revelation. But has he revealed to us everything we'd like to know? No. And sometimes when he does what he does, it makes sense to us and we understand it. And other times it's like, I wouldn't have done that. And he doesn't explain why. Ooh. And Solomon knows that we're so slow to accept this verdict. It's why he uses that same phrase three times. You cannot know. You will not find it out. You cannot find it out. You're like, I'm going to figure this out. I've got to have an If you're living thinking until I get an explanation for this and you fill in whatever this is in your life, I cannot serve him. I cannot be happy. I will not be joyful. I will. You doom yourself to misery. There will be some things that will seem inexplicable to you that you will not get 
an explanation for in this life. And even if you're guilty of thinking, and when I get to heaven, it's going to be the first thing I'm going to ask him. It, it, it will not. A, because you'll be on your face mumbling into the ground. B, because then you will know as you are known. And guess what? You're like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I get it. I get it. I get it. He's not going to spend the first couple centuries defending himself to all his people in a line. Next. Yeah, I want to know about the whole job situation, my health right there, and the baby. And rah, rah. All right. Next. It's not going to go down that way. Not because he's so arrogant and cruel, because we will understand it all and we'll say, wow, God. Wow, God. And really, you guys, that's the answer. You say, why? Why is Solomon saying cannot, will not, cannot, will not, cannot, will not? Because it all belongs to God. That's what the first part of the verse is about. That's what the first part of verse is about in verse 17. Then I saw all the work of, say it. Do you realize this is not a random, chaotic universe and world we're living in? I know from our perspective, it feels like that. It's not. This is the work of, there's still a God in charge, at the helm, in control, over all of this. I saw all the work of God. In other words, he is God, and we are not. I know this basic, but basic is good. He is God and we are not. He is God and we are not. And then our bigger problem is like, I know he's God and I know I'm not. What we struggle to keep in mind is, and therefore the difference between what we know and how we think is not small. It's infinite. And so you will not on your finite man, mind will not be able to process, interpret, take in, and make sense of everything he does and why he does it. This, and this truth is woven all through the scriptures that he is God and we are not. Therefore, you will not always understand it all, will not always get an explanation for it all. That's why we have places in the Bible like Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine: The secret things belong to the Lord. Our God. You realize there's some things and they are his. And he doesn't have to tell you about it. The secret things belong to the Lord. Oh, thank goodness for the next, ver- next phrase. But the things that are revealed belong to us. He has chosen to reveal a lot to us. Where would we be without the scriptures? Oh my goodness. Without the scriptures on marriage and relationships and communication and what is really going on in this world? Is there any hope? Where should I put my hope? Has God done anything about this? Does he see us? Does he know us? Woo! He's revealed so much to us. But if you're not careful, you'll stay focused on what are his secrets. And you'll just drive yourself crazy, banging your head against the wall and say, until he tells me this, until he tells me this, until he tells me this. Please stop. The secret things of the Lord belong to the Lord. 
But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children. Job 11, 7 to 8. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It's higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Shoal. What can you know? Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unsearchable are his judgments. And how inscrutable are his ways. Unsearchable means you will not get to the bottom of all of it and say, got it, got it. Inscrutable means cannot be unwound and understood and interpreted. Doesn't mean it makes no sense. Just means you with your finite mind could not grasp it right now. Unsearchable, inscrutable. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. This is God speaking. For my thoughts are what? Say it. Not. We just keep going. Are you thinking what I'm thinking, God? Here we go. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Usually the answer is no. He's not at all thinking what you're thinking. He's just not. He's not thinking what you're thinking. And even if he is thinking what you're thinking, he's not thinking of it on your timetable. If you're thinking what I'm thinking, here we go. He's like, nope, here we don't go. It's like, what? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. Neither are my ways. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We cannot predict the future. And we cannot control the present. But our biggest problem and biggest frustration is actually not that. Oh, that's a little frustrating. We can't predict the future. We can't control the present. But you know what our biggest problem and frustration is? We can't fathom how God works and why he doesn't think what we think, do what we do, and move on the same timetable that we would. But he's not like us. Now, be careful. He is good. Oh, he's way gooder than you are. I know that's not a word. See, we, we tend to think, but I would do this and I'm good. Be careful. Because he's not doing what I would do. He can't be good because this is what. Be careful what you're doing. Who's the sinner? Who has evil in our heart? Who, who has madness? Be careful. He is the very essence of good apart from him. There would be no good in this world. He is good, but he is God. And with those two things together, he often leaves us befuddled, perplexed, and without explanations. Without explanations. Oh, but there's more. If you thought that was fun. There's more. It's not just that you can't discover and explain everything. Letter B, Solomon says, you cannot predict or control everything. We would love to discover and explain everything, predict and control everything. That's what he's talking about in verse 12 when he talks about a fish caught in a net or a bird 
caught in a snare. Look at verse 12 again. For man does not know his time. In other words, we don't know what's about to happen, you guys. It's Sunday. I know what I typically do on a Sunday. If it was sunny, but I don't think it's supposed to be, I would inflate my baby pool and sit in on the patio. That's a Sunday thing. Did that last Sunday. I checked the weather and I started inflating that thing. It's huge. It's the best baby pool you've ever seen from Costco for $29.99. And if it's sunny, I'm going to preach and I'm going to sit in my baby pool. I, I know what I typically do on Monday when I come in here. But you guys, do any of us know what's coming next? In this world or in our lives? We don't. Man does not know his time. Now here's, here's also, it puts us in our place. We are created in God's image, unlike any other part of creation. What we fail to hold on to, are we still part of creation and we are created beings and not the creator? Yes, we are above and beyond all other creation, but we still are creatures and not God. So notice the word he uses, like, like fish. Our lives in some ways are still like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Regardless of who you are or what you have, or how much you seek to insulate yourself and, and make sure of safety and predictability. I'm not against any of that. Don't be stupid. But there's no escaping that things happen to us that we didn't see coming and we have no power to stop. Do we need any better evidence than a few years ago? COVID-19. Oh my word. When God is pleased to do it, he can stop the entire world. The entire world, everything changed. Just like that. And whether you think it was a conspiracy thought up in a lab in China, it doesn't matter. God's ultimately sovereign. Or the real deal. Doesn't matter. What we do know is it happened, didn't it? Did it change your life? Did it change how you work, how you play, where you went? Did you fly? Did you go to that conference? Did you go on that vacation? Like, airline industries now are booming because everybody's catching up on what they meant to do that they couldn't do. It changed. Man does not know his time. Like a fish caught in a net. Like a bird caught in a snare. We don't see things coming. So now, if you're saying, wow, Brad, really? If we cannot predict it, we cannot explain it, and we cannot control it. What in the world are we supposed to do? Let her see. Let her see. You can, and look at me, if you got a pen, add in, and should. You can and should rest and trust in a sovereign God. Just like death, we're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, something else, what else? I don't want the handhold that you're going to die. And if that's my handhold that I can rest and trust in the sovereign God, I'm looking for something else. Well, you will keep looking. And you'll sing along with Bono and YouTube. I still haven't found what I'm looking for the rest of your life. Because here, here's your handhold. You can 
It's your choice. You can. And oh, you should rest in a sovereign God. Trust in a sovereign God. Oh, I know this is a dark book, but in the midst of this dark summary, do you realize there are some incredible threads of hope that are woven all through this book and especially in our passage? Because God shows up in this passage. Did you hear it? God shows up five times in this passage. And look at me. When you, regardless of circumstances, unpredictability, things you can't control, things you can't explain, listen to me. When you have God, you can have hope. That's where hope is. We think I could have hope again if I could explain this. I could have hope again if I could stop this. I could have hope again if I could predict the next bad thing. Nope. When you have God, you can have hope. And God is in this passage. He's in here. In the middle of verse 1 in chapter 9. Look at the middle of verse 1 in chapter 9. There are five life-changing, reorienting, heart-altering words for every believer. In the hand of Say it. God. In the hand of God. Oh, you may be. See, here's what we think. Well, if I was in the hand of God, I wouldn't be in the snare. That's not what the Bible teaches. You can be in the net and in the snare. And if you're a child of God, you're still ultimately in God's hand. In his hand. While you're in the net. While you're in the snare. You're not abandoned. You're not orphaned. You're not forsaken. In the hand of God. In other words, there is a God and he's not outside of this. He's in it with us holding on to us. That's what the Bible teaches. From Genesis to Revelation, that's what the Bible teaches. He's in it with us holding on to us. And so that's why he launches next. That's why he launches into six commands that you might think make no sense in light of the disturbing news he's already given us. Like, what? He launches into six commands beginning in verse 7. And that's my point number three. He says, get busy celebrating the things that you do have. Get busy celebrating the things that you do have. We tend to think until I understand all this, until this hard thing ends, until this confusion lifts, until, 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 I'm not gonna start living, I'm not gonna start enjoying. Bad decision. He says, start celebrating what you do have in the midst of what you don't understand, can't control, can't stop, can't predict. That's what verses 7 to 10 are all about. When he says, letter A, slow down to enjoy meals. You realize he's made it simple here, you guys. When he says, when he says, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Do you realize he's talking about an everyday normal meal? I know we tend to think wine would be a special occasion. Not back then. Bread and wine were a basic meal because meat was rare. Meat was a festivity. Meat was a celebration. Meat was a high occasion. He's talking about an everyday, normal meal. Enjoy it. 
drink your wine with a merry heart. Eat bread with joy. You realize even in a fallen, broken world, yes, sin has twisted and given us a layer of complexity that didn't exist in the garden. We still have taste buds. Because of sin, it's not no taste buds now. Food is just food. Eh, That's food. That'll keep me alive another day. And you may be eating food like that, and too bad. Don't do that. There's a reason there's still asparagus. Fresh vegetables and fruits and salt and sweet and sour. Because God is good. Good. He gave us taste buds. Food is a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Like, slow down to enjoy meals. Which means probably you shouldn't be in the car reaching towards that window getting something in a bag. Just a little tip there. I'm not saying you can't enjoy that. But notice, that's what we've done to meals. Meals were meant to be enjoyed. Slow down to enjoy just an everyday meal. And taste it. Chew slower and say, oh my goodness, that's a blueberry. My wife just spent an ungodly amount of money for a box of peaches from the peach truck. Yeah, it came all the way from Georgia. But you know what? I'd do it again. They are better. Oh, as the juice runs down your hand, and you're like, oh, this is what a peach is supposed to taste like. It's not just sung about that it's from Georgia. That is so much better. A peach, a blueberry, a strawberry, watermelon. Whew. Slow down and enjoy everyday meals. Let her be. He says, find ways to enhance the ordinary. Verse 8. This is what he's talking about when he says, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. They lived in a day where roads were dirt, you guys. You were filthy constantly from just travel. They would have one nice white garment that was saved for a very special occasion. They would have perfumed oil that they would pour on for a special occasion. And he's saying, get out your nice shirt and your nice dress for an everyday occasion. Take you know, Forever in the laundry room cabinet down there, we had all these nice name brand candles. They were just piling up because we're not going to burn a nice one that was actually $18. We're waiting. Waiting for what? I don't know. And finally, it's like, let's burn a name brand candle, hallelujah, on a normal day. Burn it to the glory of God. That's what he's saying. Pull out your nice shirt. You're saving it for what? For what? You may die before you wear it. Wear it tomorrow. Pull out your nice dress. Get out your favorite shoes. Open the nice bottle of wine. Do the nice stuff today. 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 Burn it. Use it. Wear it flaunt it you know that perfume that you're saving that cologne that you only use now be careful how much you use when i hug you i don't want to walk away smelling like you moderation is good on everything but use it what are you waiting for he's like enhance even like dishes right We've got those nice dishes that you say, or used to, you know, as girls got married, everyone gave you these really expensive china, and you use it, what, twice a year, once a year? Get it out on a Thursday night, August 8th, and use the china and the nice dishes. Why? Because we have life, we have food, we have God in this fallen, broken world. Hallelujah. Chink, tink, clink your little glass with each other. And say, oh, look at what we have. 
enhance the ordinary. Let her see. Take time to enjoy people. That's what he's talking about in verse 9. He gives the example of marriage, but it happens with, you can be single with good friends, close friends. You can be with your siblings. One of our favorite things now is to hang out with our adult children and see how much they love each other, especially since we thought they were going to kill each other and thought they hated each other, some of them, and now they love each other. Enjoy people created in the image of God. He's given us people, one of the greatest blessings in life. And then, letter D, this is going to shock some of you, throw yourself into your work, verse 10. And we live in a day right now that just, it just chafes me because we weren't taught this. We didn't hear this. We heard, go get a job. Today, it's like, oh, don't settle for anything less than what you love and it matches your gifting and you feel fulfilled. I feel so self-actualized in this job If you are stacking boxes at Amazon, trust me, I don't think you'll feel self-actualized. But you will be able to buy some bread and wine and a white garment and throw yourself. Stop waiting for the job you love and start loving the job you have. And find out what happens. Find out what happens. I'm reading articles that talk about quiet quitting. Don't actually quit Just do as little as possible. You did not get that from the Bible. The Bible doesn't say practice quiet quitting until you find the job you love. Here's your verse. And there's other ones like it in Colossians. Whatever you find your hand to do, do it to the glory of God. Do it as unto Jesus. Throw yourself into it. And guess what might happen? Not a promise. Someone just might notice you and say, oh, you could do. I can't tell you how many. I've been a pastor almost you know, 30 years here, how many times somebody tells me a story that they were standing in Hagedorn's, you know, appliance store selling TVs. This is a real story I'm about to tell you that's not in my notes. And a guy, an older gentleman came in and it was like 12 minutes before quitting time. How do salespeople usually act when someone comes in like that? They all run and ignore them. They don't want to deal with it. They're going to have to stay late. He didn't. He engaged him. He was super friendly. He was super helpful. And that older gentleman said, here's my card. If you ever want to do something more than this, I would love to talk to you. That guy now who's still in our church is making 10 times what he was making. Never been to college. Didn't know what the guy was, 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 was selling, what his business is, but he taught him. Because he had a work ethic and a heart and an ability to engage people. That man saw he could do more. More. And he was loving and doing with all his might the job that he did have. Especially young people. Take a note and stop waiting, 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 waiting for the job you love. Throw yourself into the job you have. Because guess what? There's a joy. I know this might shock some of you. There's a joy in work. Why in the world would he have? These are pleasures. Bread, wine, nice garments, oil, friends, relationships, and work. Yes, yes, yes. These are things that give you joy. Joy when you organize something, when you create something, when you clean something, when you dig something, when you plant something, when you prune something. There's a joy in that. Some of you need to discover that. Find it out. He's like, oh, get busy celebrating. And if you've been with us the whole summer, then you know this is not his first time to poke this. This is not his first time to launch off on an exhortation about enjoying simple things. Do you realize this is the sixth time? This is the sixth time 
in the book of Ecclesiastes. I know there's a bunch of vanity, vanity, vanity. I know there's a bunch of life under the sun. Guess what we've also had? This book uses the word joy or enjoy 17 times. And this passage right here is the most emphatic of them all. And here's why. Every other place where he launches off on enjoying what you do have, he frames it up comparatively and says things like, better is food, better is drink, better is laughter than. He goes from comparative statements to imperative statements in this passage for the first time and uses six direct commands. Didn't it strike you as kind of odd Even the way he led into it with verse 7, go, get going. It's like he's looking at us as he's been framing up the reality of life in a fallen, broken world and watching us just curl up, curl up, curl up and start to bemoan. And he's like, no, 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 no. Get serious about enjoying what he has given us. Go, go. It's a wake-up call, a wake-up call. He says, stop bemoaning what you can't predict, can't control, can't explain, and start celebrating what you do have in a fallen, broken world. Oh, yes, sin has fractured and twisted and added a layer of complexity and confusion to everything in this world, way beyond what was going on in the garden. But get this, good news. It cannot unmake Everything that God has given us. It cannot unmake all the good gifts that a good God has given us in this world. Oh, they're twisted. They've got layers on them. They're not as easy to see. But they're still there. People, food, work, enhancing everyday pleasures. It's still there. And here's what is so cool. Do you realize he takes pleasure in our pleasure He takes pleasure in our pleasure. That's what's going on at the end of verse 7. Look at it again. End of verse 7. For God has already approved of what you do. He doesn't mean every stupid thing you do with madness in your heart. He's like, yep, that was good. He's talking about what he's about to roll into. Bread, wine, white garments, oil, enjoyment of people, and work. When you head down that path and say, I'm going to celebrate the simple good things. He's, he's already pre-approved this. It's pre-approved. Go for it. It's been pre-approved. Go for it. He actually wants you to go for it. Here's the misnomer in our world about God is not a killjoy. He is the author of joy. And he's the best father ever. Think about how you feel when you see your kids in joy. Lord willing, in September, I'm going to pay for this house at the beach for all the kids to come. I don't resent it when I see them having a good time. Yeah, you didn't even pay for any of this. I hate you. What are you thinking? Stop laughing. Stop laughing. I enjoy being with them, seeing them enjoy the beach, seeing us enjoy meals together, seeing them laugh, interacting with them as adults. I take joy in their joy, and I'm a sinner. Our God is a perfect, glorious Father, and he takes pleasure in our pleasure. Don't be guilty of thinking, I think I just had a good time. God's going to smite me. That is not the kind of God we have. He loves it. When you have those moments like, oh, this music is so good. 
Oh, this food is so good. Oh, that time with friends on the patio was so good. Oh, that board game went so well and no one fought. Oh, he's glad too. He takes pleasure in our pleasure and doesn't think, now we're going to have to balance that out. That was too much fun. Something hard needs to happen real soon to you. That's not our God. Pre-approved. Approved. Go. Go. There's things I've given you that I delight to see you enjoy it. But now here's what I want you to understand. These uncertainties. Ah! And these good gifts. Ah! Were both meant to do something bigger and better in our lives. You realize the uncertainties weren't meant to just cause you to be frustrated. And even the good things right here in this broken world were not meant for you to just wrap your arms around them and say, I just want more of this right here, right now. The uncertainties, ah, and the simple joys, ah, were meant to make you, number four, homesick. Oh, the uncertainties as well as the simple joys were meant to make you homesick. See, the uncertainties were meant to dislodge us. We tend to settle down and try to make this home right here, right now. If I could just get it all right, nesting. The uncertainties were meant to dislodge us and cause us to release the white knuckle grip that we have on so many things as we try to control our world. And then the pleasures were meant to cause you to say, oh my goodness, the taste, the enjoyment in a world like this must be connected to someone bigger and something better. If this, then what's behind this? If this, then what's to come? The pleasures were meant to make you homesick for more. And the uncertainties were meant to dislodge you and cause you to stop trying to live as if this is it. This is it. This is all I have. And the Germans have a word that captures this better than anything we have in English. It's the word sensucht that means yearning, craving, and sensing that something is profoundly wrong and missing. Do you ever have just flutters of, like, there's something wrong. Wrong with me and wrong with our world. And something's missing. Something's missing. Something's missing. That's because you were created in the image of God. Let me help you. Here's what's wrong. What's wrong is that sin has twisted all of God's good creation. What's missing is that we've been separated from God. There's something wrong and there's something missing. There's something wrong and there's something missing. And he wants every human being to definitely sense that so that we would look away and up and say, who is it? What is it? Who is it? What is it that I actually need? What's wrong is that creation's been twisted and what's missing is we've been separated from God so that we live with a sense of not fully belonging because we're not really home. You were never created to stay right here and for this to be the best that it gets. No. You were created to experience more and to know your creator God. To experience more and to know your creator God. And the apostle Paul puts some of this into words in his second letter to the Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians 
2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, all the way down through chapter 5, verse 7. Oh, this is such a helpful, helpful passage. Because three times, I don't have time to read it, but three times he uses the word tent. Hello. What does that indicate? That our bodies and this life right now, this world right now, is tent camping. Even people that love tent camping, you know I don't. But even people that love it would be willing to acknowledge they love those few benefits. I love seeing the sunset from a mountaintop. I love the sunrise. I love sitting by the fire. They don't love it all or they would live out there 365 days a year. They don't. They come home. They come home. And they go out. And they come home. This is tent camping. This is tent camping. Are there some incredible things about tent camping? Yes. He's already told us, verse 7 to 10, what you have. Even with tent camping, you've got these good things. But oh my goodness, the reason you keep thinking, but something's wrong and something's missing is because it's tent camping. You're not home. You're not home. And so look, look at verses, oh, where is it in the passage? Look at verse 2 to 4 in 2 Corinthians 5. Verses 2 to 4, for in this tent, in this tent, we do what? Groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. He uses the word tent three times, and he uses the word groan or longing three times. When you know you're tent camping and you know that there's something better coming, you long for it. You groan. When you understand that this is tent camping, he's with us in it and we have some pleasures, but it's tent camping, you can go from complaining. Is complaining a sin? Thank you, Pastor Brian. Everybody else, yes, it is. I know online it doesn't seem like it is. It is. Complaining's a sin. You just scoot a little to the side of complaining. Guess what? Is groaning and longing and yearning for something better a sin? No. When you know this is tent camping, you can go from complaining to longing and groaning for what's to come. Saying, oh, there's a reason. I long for a new body, a new earth, a new heaven. No sin, no sickness, no sorrow. I long for that glorious kingdom with King Jesus at the center of it. What is wrong? Sin. What is missing? Full relationship with God like we had in the garden. Uninhibited, unobstructed, and it's coming. There'll be nothing wrong, nothing missing. Nothing wrong, nothing missing. Nothing wrong, nothing missing. And it's coming. It's coming. But you won't find it here. He'll give you everything you need to live for his glory here. Because this same passage right at the end of verse 6. Look at it. At the end of verse 6. Actually verse 5. He's given us the spirit. We've got his spirit living in us. We've got his word alive to us. We've got the people of God around us. And we've got direct access to his throne. We've got what he's revealed to us. If you'll read it. You'll stop trying to make this better than it is. And say oh okay I get it. But then I can celebrate the simple things. Nothing gets more misdiagnosed, you guys, 
Nothing gets more misdiagnosed than this homesickness. This homesickness that we have, every human being. We think it's sex that we want. Alcohol, drugs, a better job, more pay, a large screen TV, a year off to travel, a condo in the Caribbean. And yet, if you could get it, you would find yourself sitting on that dock in the Caribbean with the sun splashing across the ocean in a glorious way and still find yourself, if you don't know God and you don't know what you were made for, sensing something's missing. Because that word groan, that word groan that's used twice in 2 Corinthians there, it's the word stenazo that means an internal inarticulate, inarticulate. That's why it gets translated sometimes a sigh. Just, what's missing? What's wrong? You're not home. You're not home. What you're really wanting is unhindered, unobstructed fellowship with your creator, Father God, through his son, Jesus Christ, in an environment with no more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death. And it's coming. It's coming. Oh, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, oh, please, 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 I plead with you. If he was here, he would plead with you. Come to Christ. And when you, listen to me, when you turn to Christ, you will be facing home for the very first time because you were made. What you're actually aching and longing for is the person you were made for, Jesus, and the place you were made to be, heaven. That sense of belonging, that sense of cha-ching, all is well. And if you're here and you are a believer, we go off the rails, right? We get off track. Here's my exhortation to you. Ask God to help you to shift from complaining and start groaning and longing for what's coming next, as well as celebrating the good gifts you do have. Pull out that nice shirt. Pull out the best dress. Bust out the good food. And be quick to show gratitude for the pleasures that he has pre-approved in a fallen, broken world. And see if you don't have more joy. More joy. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you've given us in a broken, fallen world. God, thank you. Thank you that you are with us in it, holding on to us. We are not orphaned. We are not alone. God, use us for your glory and keep us focused on where we're headed and who it is that we're actually longing for most. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.